And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show for Friday, May 5th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we'll talk about a few recent debuts. Several rookie pitchers have been called up in the past week. Seems to be a recent trend on this show. A lot of pitcher injuries, a lot of corresponding call-ups. A few other prospects have come up as well. We're also going to talk about the White Sox in greater detail. Where have they been falling short? Because when you pull back, this is a team that has struggled more than it should for the resources at its disposal. And Alabama fires its head coach in the wake of suspicious betting activity on an LSU-Alabama game. So we'll get to that by the end of the show as well. But Keith, we begin today. Bryce Miller with an impressive debut for the Mariners. And I was talking about him a little bit last week when we received the word that Robbie Ray needed needed Tommy John surgery. Bryce Miller looked like maybe their best available internal option to take over a rotation spot. He pulled a nice card by getting to debut against the A's for his first big league start. But I think it was more than just facing the A's. I think this guy actually has a pretty impressive arsenal. The numbers at AA this year and the handful of starts he made didn't impress anybody, but there's strikeout stuff very clearly watching him. I mean, this is a broader point, right? They're the Southern League. They're using a different ball that's supposed to reduce the need for sticky stuff. In AAA, they're using the automated strike zone. So a bunch of numbers there screwed up. Like I'm having a hard time with a lot of the minor league stats we're seeing, in addition to the fact that small samples everywhere. But hey, if you're messing with the rules or the baseball at different levels, it was bad enough when there was the minor league baseball, the major league baseball. Now it's certain leagues are using different baseballs. I don't know if Miller was which which baseball he was pitching with, but we had a. I think Zach, somebody wrote an article for us recently about the different baseball in the Southern League, which was driving people crazy because um he was in the texas league that's what i thought because i was pretty sure that was where seattle's affiliate is i actually don't know which baseball they were using in the texas league i can't keep track can't blame anyway bryce miller's really good and he had a bad line in four starts in the texas league please carry on (laughs) what we saw in the debut was really impressive a complete arsenal locating everything where he wanted to this was a game that mason miller started on the other side and I believe through six, both pitchers had no hitters going, which was yeah. incredible. That game was flying by. 10K is in the debut. That's always going to jump off the page. No walks in the debut. Also very good. I think with that Ray injury, Miller's in the rotation unless he gives the Mariners a reason to take him out. And I think part of it is that they've been willing to skip AAA with a lot of their pitching prospects recently. Yeah. We've barely seen guys like Logan Gilbert and George Kirby for even a brief time stay at that level. Yeah, now Miller, right? He finished last year in Double A, ten starts in Arkansas, when he had three two ERA. So I, I'm sure also they were looking at what happened this year and like we don't really we're not worried uh, about four 
bad starts where it was almost all BABIP driven too. Uh, you know, I'm guessing, I haven't asked the Mariners anything about this specifically, but I'm guessing it's a little bit of a design. Like we're just going to skip the PCL with our better arms. We just don't need to send them there. Um, Tacoma is not a bad pitching environment, but a lot of the other PCL parks are terrible pitching environments. And maybe you just don't want your guys pitching there. I understand, could could completely understand that. Saying we're going to keep guys out of there. The way teams, whenever some team got stuck with Lancaster and High Desert in the old California League before those teams were essentially contracted and and they added two teams in the Carolina League instead, um, just saying we're just, we're never going to send a pitcher there. Mark Capel got sent to Lancaster. It may have derailed his career. It didn't help. Daniel Bard nearly lost his career to Lancaster. A lot of teams just say we're just, you don't need AAA. It's not that important. If the stuff's good enough, and Bryce Miller is one of those guys too, the stuff was good enough. He was their top pitching prospect coming into this year. He was pretty close to ready. I thought he'd make a contribution this season. I don't think I said anywhere. I thought he'd be up in May. If you told me he would make 15 starts for the big club this year, I would have said, sure. It sounds right. Teams always need extra pitching. I don't see any reason he can't make 24 starts for them this year. Maybe he'll be on some kind of innings limit. After he threw 133 last year, maybe he gets up to 160 or so. You can get most of a full season out of him. And, uh, I think he can help. Like, I think he's he's going to outstuff a lot of teams, even as he's working on some of the finer things. His pure stuff, velocity, breaking stuff, just general quality of individual pitches, it, it kept improving. This guy was drafted two years ago, and even in his first 18 months in the organization, had made huge, huge progress in quality of stuff. And frankly, ability to repeat the delivery, too. I think the Mariners, the Mariners have done a really nice job with a couple of their pitching prospects. He might be the best one so far in terms of how much player development improved a guy from the moment he got into the organization until, say, in this case, the moment he got to the big leagues. Yeah, adding uh, quite a bit there and and getting great results so far. And you look at the other results for some of the starters they've got at that double A team, a 9.15 ERA and a 198 whip so far this season for Emerson Hancock, their first rounder from 2020. Perlander Barroa is at that same affiliate. 560 ERA, 180 whip. So yeah, something is going on with the different baseballs at different leagues and different levels that it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know why we can't just use the same ball up and down throughout the minor leagues. Brian Wu has pitched great for them and none of their other starters has an ERA below five and a half at that level. Obviously, ERA is not great as an indicator in general. Like Baroa doesn't throw enough strikes. So there's a separate issue there. But yeah, their guys are getting hit hard there's a lot of crazy numbers out there and again it's hard to tease apart small sample variation from you know uh something's up with the baseball or they've changed the rules like looking at a lot of these guys i might think are more 4a type hitters or or who are just you know solid prospects but not tremendous prospects after really good starts in triple a and the first thing I'm thinking is, you know, this guy's got some holes. There's definitely some weakness here. But if we're using the automated strike zone, he's getting a smaller strike zone in AAA than he did in AA or than he's likely to get in the majors. Is this really as predictive as we might have thought AAA stats were, say, a year ago? And, yeah, I'm trying to avoid the, the natural tendency, right? I follow prospects. I follow the box scores. I am, you know, looking at stat lines too. And if I look and I see, oh, this guy's doing much better than I expected, much worse than I expected. Got to wait, stop. Not only is it May 5th, so it's really early, but wait, 
Which league is he in? What rule change is in place right now? Got to imagine this is screwing with a lot of teams' models too, as they're trying to do evaluations of their own prospects and prospects in other systems too, because of that. You know, if you're using a totally different baseball, that's a pretty huge change to the whether whether it makes this stuff less predictive or not. You've built a model around, say what Southern League stats typically look like and what their value is. Well, guess what? You got to throw that out because Southern League stats this year may not be anywhere near as used. They may not work the same way as they did in previous seasons. And if you're messing that much with the baseball, spin rates are going to be different. Movement's going to be different. So that's going to even break down on a granular level what a pitcher's arsenal looks like. So there's all sorts of problems that come from this. Hancock in particular last year had a major home run issue at AA, and now he's walking a lot of guys. So Mm -hmm. that's bizarre. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, the Mariners, I think they were built to withstand one injury in this rotation reasonably well because of Castillo, Gilbert, Kirby, and Ray to start with. That was a great top four. Now they've got Marco Gonzalez sort of still in that innings eater role and Miller's the Mm -hmm. current five. If they were to lose another starter, I'm not sure where they would turn. Probably back to Chris Flexen initially, unless they felt like one of those other young guys was actually ready. Be a jump for Wu, right? Because I think he was just back off Tommy John partway through last season. Not to say that they wouldn't do it, just saying maybe they would try not to from an innings or a development perspective. He's the next, I don't know if he's, if I had him next on my system rankings, but in terms of readiness, upside, also pitching well so far, I don't want to discount that entirely. Um, yeah, he'd probably be the next guy up or they try. Well, wasn't Easton McGee was up. He was down. I think he's back down. McGee got hurt. Oh, he's hurt. Okay. Well, bad job by me. He was the corresponding move for Taylor Trammell to come off the IL. And Trammell's actually hitting a little bit. I love Taylor Trammell. Yeah, I know you had him as a guest on your show a while back. That might have been two years ago now. Was oh, that yeah, the, at least. Yeah. The COVID shutdown period. That was, I think a, it was. a blast yeah. from the past. I've always liked the skill set. I've always thought this was going to work at least as a fourth outfielder at a minimum sort of skill set. But I, I think think he's going to get a decent run, mostly as a big side platoon option as part of their outfield rotation. Yeah, there was some concern about contact quality, a little bit about swing and miss, but I think it was much more contact quality. And then he did swing and miss um, much more than you wanted, especially in the rookie season of 21. It was a little bit better last year, but it wasn't exactly resolved. We'll see. He's played four games so far since he came back. But I mean, so far, so good. And... Yeah, I I never thought he was a like 25 to 30 homer guy, but he's more of a does a little of everything reasonably well. A lot of 55s on the scouting report. Maybe not a true plus, definitely not a center fielder for me, but I think should be really good in left, maybe like an emergency center fielder. But I mean, not someone who's going to play there every day, certainly not in this club, um, but Will take a pitch who's got a little power, who can run, who's really smart. Like he'll be, he'll, add a little value with his base running and with some of his approach at the plate. Um, guys like that, are, they also just sort of need to play a lot. Right? It is generally, that's not a guy who's going to come up, get a hundred at bats and produce a, you know, a high WRC plus where you're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. This guy is clearly a top prospect. He's clearly a contributor for the long term. It's probably a guy who just needs to, to play a lot more. And I think if they do just platoon him, God, he's only, 25 right he's still young start him out as a platoon and see what happens i would love to see that yeah i think maybe because he's a, a twice traded top end prospect that's part Does of why it seems help. like he's older than that yep 
yeah, people get very locked in on that. Um, by the way, I do want to mention the article I was talking about was by Sam Blum. Angels concerned about enhanced grip ball used at double A affiliate. And that is the Southern League. That's the Rocket City Trash Pandas. And they've had some absolutely ridiculous box scores there. Weren't they the team that lost the no hitter? Because it was right. It was them. It was definitely them where it was like seven walks and hit batsmen in the last inning. It was absolutely nuts. Yeah. Yeah. One of the more absurd things I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Witness it firsthand. But just seeing the log of the play by play log of what happened in that game. You couldn't believe it. I can't even imagine having been there and, and witnessed that. Why can't we use the same baseball at every level? Like, sure, I understand somewhere you have to tinker with the ball and test things, but that's right. where maybe independent ball would come in. If you're going to do something like that, the Atlantic League, isn't that sort of the true lab, the fall I league? I thought that like, was the idea, right? Something, somewhere else for the ball. In-season minor league play, that's such a huge part of player development. Messing with the ball just seems like a terrible long-term thing to do. Well, this, to me seems like a a classic major league baseball not listening to its baseball people just like with the draft just like with eliminating short season nobody likes this no baseball people i don't know a single baseball person who thinks the draft should be the week of the all-star game most baseball people i talk to say they would love it if it were the very end of june so that you were just kind of splitting the difference between the old date and where colleges still had three weeks to go and there were still some high school guys still going. And the new date, which has been as late, I think, as July 17th. And by that point, a lot of the summer leagues and things you would be doing to scout for the following draft, that's already been going on for a month. Plus, we're now drafting players where in a lot of cases, they haven't played in two months. We haven't seen them for for two months or even, even a month plus. Nobody likes the draft where it is right now, except for the commissioner's office. And I know that scouts, scouting directors, player development people have gone back to major league baseball and said, please move the draft back up. We do not like the draft where it is. And the commissioner's office just does not, does not listen at all. I don't know for a fact that player development people have gone to the commissioner's office and said, stop messing with the baseball, stop messing with the rules that are screwing up our affiliates, screwing up our development plans. I'm sure they will at some point. If they haven't done it by now, I am sure they are doing so. I'm sure that the Angels player development people, I'm just picking them because Sam, that's who Sam wrote about was their affiliate, have gone to Major League Baseball and said, what the heck? Like, I, I, you know, yeah, Ben Joyce is, you know, he was part of that huge meltdown where they lost the no hitter. Ben Joyce has enough trouble throwing strikes. Let's not make it any harder for guys like him. It just makes no sense to me. Do it in the Atlantic League. Contract with one of the other independent leagues. There are lots of them out there. Plenty of places you could experiment with some of these things and see what happens you could always you know what if they try to say that they tried a new grip baseball and in one of these independent leagues and it went great you could always part way through the season as soon as i guess the manufacturing catches up say we're going to introduce this into some of the miners too if it's a success the problem is you've set this up now where you have an experiment i don't want to call it a failure but it's not going great and now what? Do you course correct? Do you bring the old baseball back? I, don't, I have no idea what the plan is. I just think it's one of those variables. You cannot change it as often as they're trying to change it right now. They have mm-hmm. to get this right. And mm. messing with it in season actually seems pretty risky, too. I, mm-hmm. I hope we can get to the point where the baseball, the literal baseball, is less frequently a topic of conversation around the game. That would be wonderful. Just That'd be get great. some consistency. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On the other end of recent debuts, Brandon Fott struggled in Texas, had a hard time keeping the ball in the yard. It was four and two-thirds, seven earned runs, nine hits, four homers. Andrew Heaney had a hard time keeping the ball in the yard that day, too. Not a new problem for Andrew Heaney, for what it's (laughs) worth. But I think it was one of those warmer days where the ball was jumping off the bats a little bit, and that happens. And I, I think it's the problem we have with small samples all the time is we want every game and every series to mean something. We want every month, every data point. We want it all to mean something. And it doesn't. It doesn't always mean something. It often doesn't mean anything. And we have to live with that. And I think some people can quickly say, oh, I was so into Brandon Fott and I thought he was going to help the Diamondbacks rotation. Oh, he had this terrible debut. I don't know if he's any good. Like, No, no. Back up. Take a look at the big <laughs> picture. Things are likely to get better. Next couple starts are at home. Look at the body of work. Look at the difficulty pitching at Amarillo and Reno last year. The <sighs> success he was able to have at those levels. Yeah. He's going to be fine. You can't take a debut like that and just completely throw out the last two years like they didn't happen. I mean, to your broader, I'm still a Brandon Fodd fan. One bad start does not make a career. Like, God, I just pulled up the leaders, right? Luis Arias is hitting 424. Brent Rooker is leading the majors in slugging. That's playing half his games in Oakland. It's a horrendous place to, to hit at 684. Justin Steele. Did I see Justin Steele as like a buck 20 ERA right now? You think this stuff is going to last? I'm not saying <laughs> these players are terrible, but like have a little feel, right? It's May 5th. We've been playing for six weeks. We are very much in small sample size territory. Uh, what? And, you know, the a, a reader who I'm very friendly with, Stan, hi, Stan, asked, we, uh, just, we were just chatting a little bit and asked about the Rays' offense so far this year, and I pointed out a, a couple of things. They've been pretty fortunate in a couple of ways. Also, they played a bunch of bad offenses. So, you know, and sometimes it's not even that you played maybe a bad offense, but what if you've, you're have you a hitter and you faced a particular pitching staff that for whatever reason, you hit those guys well, right? They don't have the right arsenal to face you or they don't have the right – if you're a left-handed hitter and they're a little bit weak from the left side, that's going to be more favorable. A lot of that stuff will even out over the course of a full season. And some of it, some of these hot starts will turn out to be incredibly real. Some of these cold starts will turn out to be real too. Jose Abreu has been pretty lousy for the Astros so far this year. Might be a continuation of a trend we started to see in 2022 where it looked like the bat was slowing down or it's just a small sample size thing. In in three weeks, we have this conversation. He's Jose Abreu all over again. It's really early and we just have such a desire to find meaning in these small samples when, hey, I understand if the small sample is all you've got to work with, the season ends and there's nothing else. 
but we got five months left. Like there's a lot of play. I hate to phrase it this way, but there's a lot of data yet to come. You mentioned Brent Rooker in all that. Mm-hmm. I think he might actually be kind of good. I, I, I kind of like believe Rooker. in Brent Rooker. I, I, and yeah. I think there were flashes of it. He was an up and down guy with the twins. Mm-hmm. When he was up, he kind of did what a lot of players with this skill set do. He struck out a little too much, but he hit the ball hard when he hit it. And I think because of guys like Trevor Larnack and Alex Kirilov, guys that were bigger priorities than the organization, he sort of just became the odd man out. And when players like that find their way to places like Oakland, to any rebuilding situation, and a team just says, here's a 50-game stretch. Yep. You're going to hit in the middle third of our order. Go. Let's see what you do. Mm-hmm. This profile tends to play well with more consistent playing time. The K rate usually starts to come down a bit. I don't know if we're talking about a guy who's going to have a true talent 21% K rate in the big leagues long term, but I believe that he can be a double-digit barrel rate sort of player. He can be a 25 or 30 home run hitter, and he can play enough to actually be pretty meaningful and maybe even end up getting flipped to a contender at some point if the A's don't see him as part of a a longer-term future since he'll turn 29 in November. I really like Brent Rooker. Like I've never actually talked to him, but just like interacting on social media. He's not on Twitter as much as he used to be, but he's he's smart. He's funny. He is a guy who worked extremely hard to get like he was essentially nothing as an underclassman. I think he was either a senior or redshirt junior the year he was actually drafted. And he did a total swing overhaul. And this was like the good side of launch angle optimization, right? He was a strong kid whose swing wasn't really translating into the kind of power that was going to get teams attention and he went out he had an unbelievable draft year for uh, mississippi state where he did hit for a ton of power and that was enough to get him drafted uh, in the comp round back in 2017 by the twins enough to help him sort of move up the ladder he got up to the high minors and the swing and miss started to catch up to him and it was like all right there's probably a ceiling here he's not a great defensive player but there's some power here can certainly mash against some lefties. He's a big leaguer. He's probably not a regular. If I'm a realist, that's where I still come down. There's a lot of swing and miss here. I mean, he is whiffing. He's even whiffing on fastballs a lot. And to a point where the amount that he's swinging and missing probably doesn't support the 21% K rate going forward. I think that's going to creep up the more that he plays. And it's going to bring a lot of the other numbers down. That said... A, just rooting for him. I think he's a great story. And I think he's like one of those, this guy is good for baseball. And B, there's still a place for him. Like this guy could strike out 28, 29% of the time and still play every day for a handful of teams. Still be a really good bench piece, maybe for a contender at some point. So I come down as, yeah, I don't think Brent Rucker is going to be the OPS leader in baseball this year. I am sorry, Brent. Um, But (laughs) it's the kind, you know, sometimes a player like that also just gets the opportunity, gets that. 30 game sample and it's enough to keep his season stats up and keep this guy employed teams then start to get away from focusing on what a player can't do and more on what a player can do and say all right so you're a contender you want a player like brent rooker to be able to come off your bench in the postseason or maybe to start against a lefty yeah actually that and he could probably do that for the next six or seven years and make a career out of it we've spent a lot of time over the life of this podcast, talking about the Dodgers and their never-ending pitching depth. It really seems like that's what they've got. Gavin Stone is up right now. Bobby Miller's healthy again. I imagine we're going to see Bobby Miller in the big leagues at some point. Mm-hmm. Something's going on in that rotation. They've gone to six-man temporarily, at least. I think they moved Dustin May back to get Gavin Stone in for his debut 
didn't think he'd be up this soon, but I wonder if some of this is, you know, quoting the old Gary Huckabee line, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect. Like if the guy's really that good, then he should probably just be, in the, he's not a prospect. He's just a pitcher. Just put him in the big leagues. I wonder if Stone is a little bit in that category. Another one, he's made a ton of progress in pro ball. Great job by the Dodgers. who's fifth round pick under slot out of, I think it was central Arkansas in the pandemic draft. So he was their last pick and a money saver. And he's, already their second best prospect out of that draft and may end up their best overall. Um, and he's got stuff. He's got really good feel. Um, he is really good at, at sort of North South at changing eye levels. Um, I could see a lot of ways that a, that he's going to continue to grow and develop even in the big leagues to continue to be, I, I think he's a mid rotation starter, maybe a chance to be more and be that they could use him too. If they end up in a situation where they don't need another, where they don't need him as a starter, lots of ways you could deploy this guy as in long relief out of the bullpen um, to um, potentially get sort of get value out of him. And I mean, cause you know, they went into the season, I think very much expecting Ryan Pepio to be a pretty big part of their rotation and obviously he got hurt. I think he got hurt like right before opening day, right? He didn't actually pit, get to pitch for them. He got, got a rotation spot and then almost immediately got hurt and is on the 60 day now. So it's going to be a while, but he's going to be back at some point. Maybe they can start mixing and matching guys a little bit more um, and having stone potentially having Miller who made his first out and first start the other day for Oklahoma city, get Pepio back. Maybe it be, ends up a three guys for two spots sort of thing. And they can start to move guys around a little bit, but stone stone to me. I just like Pepio and Miller were high draft picks and it's not, they don't root for those guys, but you know, fifth rounder out of, you know, pretty minor school. How many people have heard of the university of central Arkansas? Can you tell me what their mascot is? It's gotta be something that lives in the woods. And something I'd be afraid of. No, they're just the bears. That's boring. It does live in the woods. Bears. Bears do. They do. They do something else in the woods, too, as it turns out. Yes. Like, that's cool, though. Like, that's cool for those guys. Like, to me, the the low draft pick who makes it, the the atypical school, you know, not, you know, what was the, the, can we talk about him? Brenton Doyle out of Shepherd University. Yeah. D2 school in West Virginia. Yeah, I don't think Brenton Doyle is a great prospect. I'm totally rooting for that guy. When we get a big leaguer who comes from a, you know, the Max Kepler or um, the kid Neveroskis who got a cup of coffee with the Pirates from Lithuania, how can you not root for those guys? They're fun and interesting, and maybe it has a little more impact in the, you know, the school that Zach Neto gets to the big leagues in a year out of out of Campbell. Campbell, go man. Camels. That one I know because Campbell Camels. It's hard to forget that one. They got a guy this year who's going to go in probably the top 50 picks. He was on my draft ranking today. A guy like that gets to the big leagues fast, has some success, can boost a whole program. Like these are the these are the players you kind of want to root for if you're just like a general baseball fan. I feel like I'm seeing more programs than ever when I look at player pages. Hunter Brown, mm-hmm. Wayne State in Michigan. Wayne like State, D2. Fifth yep. rounder, like fought. We've talked about Bellarmine. Like there's so many players. Mason Miller, we talked about a couple of weeks ago unusual path for him to the big leagues. What do you yeah. attribute that to? Is it more schools having different resources and opportunities? Like how, how is this happening? Why is this happening? Cause it, it's, it's fun. Like I think it's, it's interesting. Is it, is it the result of having better data and teams being willing to trust their models and go to places they previously didn't really look for future big leaguers? Well, I'll give you two pluses and then one minus. Like I think 
why is it happening more? And it's happening more with pitchers, right? It's more, it's a lot easier to see or foresee a player getting overlooked in high school, goes to college, gets bigger, stronger, adds some velocity, suddenly he's Hunter Brown. That's, I think, a bit more common. And also that play team, like you just said, teams are looking in more places. I mean, we were doing this with Toronto 20 years ago, but it's so much easier now to find those guys and get better access to data, especially if those guys, you know, I don't know if Hunter Brown pitched where he pitched over the summer, for example, but, you know, if they go to any place ever that has TrackMan or similar equipment in place, like they could, you know, then that data gets fed into teams models and almost every team, if not every team is looking at that kind of information as well. Hunter Brown's a little different because he was throwing 98 in college. All you had to do was was have one scout go there and be like, yeah, he's big and strong and throws 98 were interested um but teams are they're looking in all kinds of places the astros did a ton with this i guess maybe the cardinals a little bit and then as that group went to the astros like found smaller school guys especially a lot of pitchers where they were largely data drafts one scout would go make sure yep he's everything works right he's basically like this is a legal delivery he's not going to get kicked out of baseball great okay put him in thousand dollar sign i think other teams caught on said hey there's there's actually a lot of players outside of the SEC and the ACC. We like those guys the best, and there's good reason for it. Um, but there are players in a lot of different places, and whether we're thinking of different schools or or maybe different countries. There's a story in the LA Times about the Dodgers who opened up an academy in Uganda, which is a powerhouse in Little League baseball. At some point, a couple of those guys are going to start showing up in professional baseball, I would think, or maybe coming showing up in junior college baseball in the United States. So, um, you know, the smart teams are doing stuff like that. The one fear I have with these small college, non-traditional colleges, will NLI money just funnel all those guys to the big schools? If you're, will the next Brandon Fott, Bellarmine is, I think they're actually D1 now, but at one point they were E3. They're only D1 for lacrosse before they transitioned the whole program. Some kid, Hunter Brown is at D2. The next Hunter Brown is at a D2 or D3 school. Word gets out, does LSU show up and be like, here's, here's an NLI deal. Come pitch for us for a year, NIL. Did I say NLI? NIL, name, image, likeness. Name, likeness, image. I guess it's the same. NIL. <laughs> yeah, it, same it thing. Works, it works both ways, works. but NIL yeah, it does is work what both they ways, but I think it's NIL, yes. Um, do those guys just end up getting funneled to the, to the better schools? I'd rather they get paid. Ultimately, I come down on the side of compensating players for their labor. It would make me a little bit sad, right? I went to see, I was at LSU on Friday, right? And I'm looking at the roster and like, a lot of transfers here. There's a lot of guys who came here and good. I'm glad they're getting paid. You know, there's such a thing as too much. Also, there's, you know, at a certain point, do guys go there and just not get to play because they've brought in so much talent and they've built, I mean, LSU looks just going off the roster. You think, how does this team ever lose a game, right? They, they look so loaded. Is it necessarily the best thing for college baseball? Probably not. It does make me a little bit sad, but also I will, again, I will always come down on the side of players getting compensated. Especially when you're talking about pitchers, right? You know, pitchers can just burn out so mm-hmm. fast. Like, get paid while you get can. Paid it's in any way short you can. window. And we just saw that the retirement of Matt Harvey. I mean, you think about mm-hmm. how how bright that star was burning for a little while, but it was uh, unfortunately it was not for long. Uh, no. You were at the game on Friday, the game, the LSU the game. Alabama game. I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. No idea what was going on. I don't think anyone understood what was going on with that game at the time, but in the time since, Alabama has fired its head coach, Brad Bohannon. He was found to be connected with some betting activity in Ohio, connected to the LSU-Alabama game from last week. Bama scratched their starting pitcher, Luke Holman, a few hours before 
that game. That was game one of the series. I don't think that in and of itself actually flagged anything suspicious. I think it was just the amount wagered on this game in Ohio and then some actual communication, I guess, between Bohannon and the person placing the bet. That's where the story is at right now. It seemed inevitable with the increase in sports betting around America, oh, yeah. right? That's yeah. You're going to get things like this. It just seems bizarre because it didn't seem like a very sophisticated attempt. Didn't this seem like something that would have been the plot of a, a scandal in the 80s as opposed to 2023? Oh, it's really stupid. If this is what actually happened, it seems like, let's do a crime, but not hide it. They just did it in plain sight, it seems like, or or very much, you know, understanding. I, I don't know a lot about this. I don't want to talk too much out of turn, but it just seems like there's enough surveillance you know, protocols in place that they got caught pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just seems profoundly dumb. Like either you really are just that stupid. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm being like very derogatory here, or you just have a problem. Like you had mm-hmm. to bet, you really had to do it that much. That sounds like somebody with a gambling problem. It's just it it boggles the mind. Yeah, you know, I will say to just sort of get away from because I don't I don't know how to say this without sounding very derisive towards the people involved, but. Like you said, I was at the game. I was there to see LSU's Paul Skeens and Dylan Cruz too. But Skeens was pitching; he was sort of the main attraction that night. And um, not only did I have no idea anything was going on, nothing was amiss to me. I knew that Alabama had switched out its starter, but Grayson Hit was their number one starter, and he had Tommy John surgery. I think like ten days before that, so I also knew they were scrambling a little bit. And when I saw a reliever was starting, eh, maybe this is just how they're trying to fill it. You know, they're auditioning guys. They'll do a bullpen day. I mean, they're going against Skeens, right? The odds against them had to be enormous. Anyway, Skeens is the certainly the best draft-eligible pitcher, I think the best pitcher in college baseball this year. He hit 100 or better eight times in the first inning. Like, I give Alabama credit. They fought their asses off that game, to, and they ended up nearly coming back to win it. I think it was 8-6. It was like 6 or 7-1 to one by the time it was clear all the, you know, Cruz was done, Skeens was out of the game at that point. Alabama staged a little late rally. Um, but there was nothing even about the in-game management that struck me as odd. I, I guess I could like very nitpick the decision. It was sort of one identical right-handed pitcher after another fastball, two to three, maybe two to five working up. And then one of those little gyro type downward breaking sliders. And that was basically all they had, but maybe that's all Alabama has also. It, I also was like, I mean, I guess maybe they don't have somebody to give a different look here in then to find out, it wasn't a situation where I felt like afterwards when the news broke, I said, oh, well, that's why he was managing that way. I didn't see that at all. I mean, heck, David Ross had Eric Hosmer bunt was first and second in the ninth <laughs> inning. That's worse than anything the Alabama manager coach did on Friday night. Yeah, uh, it's highly unusual. Now, Skeens seems like he's just an absurd talent. I mean, how, how high of a ceiling are we talking about for him? Or Skeens, I think you can easily argue number one starter. In fact, I, I I would argue number one starter. I feel like the arguments against him are much more, he's a pitcher. Pitchers break, they get hurt. You know, he hasn't had to use his changeup very much because why would he? He threw one that I saw for sure at 90. Like, why would you do that? You're 90, he was 96 to 101. First couple of innings, he was 99 to 101. Just throw that. 
Just throw that in the slider, which I thought was plus. I've had other guys tell me they think it's close to an average pitch. It was really good the night I was there. You know, to me, I comped him in terms of sort of draft history. This is Strasburg, Cole type, size, stuff. Cole was not a finished product. There were questions about how hittable the fastball was. My argument at the time was he's 96 to 100 with a plus change, a plus slider, can spin a curveball, delivery works. Guy's been good forever. You know, we knew who Cole was as a high school junior. So we had track record with him. You know, Skeens is is very much in the category of those guys. He's better than a Casey Mize, for example. I loved Casey Mize. I had him first on my draft board that year. This guy's better. Most years, Paul Skeens goes first in the draft. He has the very mild misfortune to be in a draft class with his own teammate, Dylan Cruz, who's having one of the best offensive years ever in college baseball, and Wyatt Langford for Florida, who in most years would be a slam dunk 1-1 pick because he's actually a better runner than Cruz, and he also has power, and he can really hit. Cruz plays center. Langford is faster, but he has to play left. He's not very good defensively in the outfield. Langford also fouled the ball off the rather sensitive part of his anatomy and um, ruptured a thing and came back in like two weeks, which is kind of amazing. I actually saw Langford on Tuesday night. I flew to Jacksonville for one night just to go, just to make sure I saw Langford because chance he goes first. Um, in fact, at this point, I've seen all of the top 10, likely top 10 guys, except for Max Clark in Indiana. And I mean, you would never think anything was amiss with Langford. This guy just had testicular surgery in mid-March and he looked great. Um, that's a hell of a top of the class, right? If you're Pittsburgh, you're thinking, you, you you can go wrong, but you kind of can't go wrong. You know what I mean? They're all really, really good. There's always the chance you don't take the best one. But if you take one of those three, you're getting – you're taking a really good one. I just – and I will just – sorry, to I didn't mean to hijack here, but just a little bit too. To, to me with Dylan Cruz, I feel like all else being equal, I would probably just take him because – he is having this unbelievable year. He's hit for three straight years at LSU in the best conference in college baseball. And you know what? No one's ever, ever going to be able to criticize you in hindsight for taking Cruz. Like you could criticize somebody for not taking Cruz. How could you not take the guy who hit like, you know, Ted Williams, Trust Speaker, whoever? Pick your ridiculous historical comp. They're all really good. I don't, and I personally will not, I've said this already. I will not criticize Pittsburgh if they take any of those three guys. But if that's my money and my job, I'm probably taking Cruz. Makes sense for all the reasons that you outlined. But certainly it seems like a better year than average to be up near the top of the board. Those top three picks all sound like great, uh, great players to bring into your system. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. I want to ask you some questions about the White Sox. They have been coming up on the pod a lot because of their slow start. And I took a look back. I remember this this time in 2005 when the White Sox won a World Series that everyone seems to have forgotten about because it was a sweep over the Astros. Mm-hmm. They won those games by a combined six runs in the 2005 World Series. Mm-hmm. And since then, they've had a surprisingly limited amount of success. They only won the AL Central twice since winning the World Series in 05. They've mm-hmm. only played in the playoffs three times. One of those times was the expanded field we had in 2020. You can take that away if you want to, but three times is what's happened. Mm-hmm. And since 2013, the White Sox have finished at least 10 games out of first place, eight out of 10 times. And again, the 60-game season actually bailed them out. That's one of the two times yeah. where, where they didn't. They didn't, yep. This is a big market club that when they're bad, gets payroll down to the bottom five in the league. They did that in 2018 and 2019. And... They've really been more of a trade and free agency club. When they're good, when they bring in talent, most of that talent comes in those two ways. It's not a lot of, we drafted these guys and developed these guys. They certainly don't look like an organization that finds players. There's some teams that do that really well. They do not look like they have that skill set. What's going wrong here? This is a big market team that should have a lot of resources. Why have the White Sox been such an underachieving club? Yeah, they have not drafted that well they have done horribly on the international market they've basically only been saved by some of their signees as cuban free agents and they haven't developed that well and and my understanding too is that a fair amount of this is front office dysfunction above these departments so i'm not like i'm not here to slag the amateur scouting group for example um and they've had some successes too i I know of without getting too specific i have heard stories from sources i think are good enough to trust where say the amateur staff wanted to take one player and we're told by people above them nope you gotta take someone else and you know i also wonder to what extent does kenny williams still or has he at least in the recent past still had enough juice for example to even if he's not directly involved in these decisions, he can always have, he has the ear of ownership and can say, don't do that. Don't let them do this. Don't let them take that guy. Like, yeah, these are all, those are problems. These are the sorts of things that can lead to department wide dysfunction, essentially. 
you know, I mentioned player development. I think that's the one where they've made kind of the most obvious changes, at least um, in the last couple of years in terms of personnel, in terms of uh, working with players, seeing them try to do more things with players. Certainly the philosophy that's being expressed by people there is definitely different over the last two years or so. And when they get a guy like Hudson Montgomery and gets into the system and things start improving kind of right away, and you know he's he, he's got a chance to be the best player that system's produced in quite some time, um, particularly in terms of guys who were drafted and developed just by the White Sox. But at the same time, Mike, I also look at player development. They could say we haven't had a ton of talent coming through this system necessarily. You know, they've had some, um, you know, particularly when the team has drafted from the high school ranks. Hasn't gone great in a while. Um, and you point to amateur scouting, you point to player development, and you just say, hey, that's high school guys. There's just a risk involved with that. I think it's a little of everything. I I think that um, the one thing that seems to be common, though, is this idea that maybe some of these departments aren't given the full autonomy that they would be in a lot of other organizations. And it comes down to uh, maybe just comes back to ownership at that point. And I am a very big advocate. I understand this is hard for a lot of owners to do, but you hire the best baseball people you can and you empower them to do their jobs. I feel like anytime we've seen or heard about a situation, the angels now, the Mets under the will pond where ownership was excessively involved in any kind of any of these decisions generally, generally does not work out particularly well on the field. And then it actually ends up working out worse for ownership in the end, because if the team doesn't win, they make less money. So you'd think they'd learn. Right. It just seems like a great opportunity. Like you've Mm -hmm. got this, get this big market team that could do really well. If if it were run correctly, they just went through this cycle and made a ton of moves. They sent Oscar Colas down. Lenin Sosa got sent down. I'm not surprised that Oscar Colas got sent down his path into the big leagues, defecting from Cuba, having some long layoffs from baseball. It's not surprising to me that he got to the big leagues and didn't hit right away. I don't think demoting him right now means he'll never hit. I just think it's going to be a longer wait for people that were hoping it was going to happen. He didn't hit off-speed stuff in the high minors last year. That was my big concern with him. People, why isn't he on your top 100? Like This guy has not shown me he can really hit anything but a fastball, and he's not so tooled out. Like Luis Robert had... And I mean, I don't think these have totally gone away, but there were certainly questions about whether he could get to stuff in the way his hands worked and also with what scouts saw from him before he signed and a little bit in the minors, which I never saw because it's like this is almost an old story, but I kept trying to see Luis Robert and he would either be hurt or he would go over. I literally never saw it. I've still never seen never been at a ballpark when he's gotten a hit. So I'm not just basing this on what I saw myself. This is like based on what other people were seeing as well. But you know, with Colas, he doesn't have that kind of electric bat speed or just overall athleticism. And I mean, Robert's just a bigger physical kid. Luis Robert is a real, he's an outlier in a good way, right? Where he's just guys that big and strong are also not typically that fast and twitchy. So there was a lot of risk with Robert. I think it's worked out fairly well. I don't think he's hit his, you know, the best, you know, the 99th percentile scenario, but he's been good. Colas to me is there's a chance this one doesn't work out. He's got to, he's really got to show he can hit off speed stuff. Um, Cause God, if you get to the big leagues to show you can't off, hit off speed stuff, not only are they going to throw you that, but then they can start to beat you on the fastball too, because you're busy looking for the off speed stuff. And then they can sneak a fastball by you and suddenly nothing works. I worry that about him and he doesn't have the high, high, 
the huge athleticism to give them the high, high ceiling to make you say, well, it's okay. We can live with some of this swing and miss. So I, you know, I'm not saying he's never going to come back. I'm not saying he's never going to work out. I am concerned by what we saw because he's older too. He's not a 21, 22 year old who came in like as a high school draft. He signed when he was a little bit older. They didn't give him a ton of money, but I do think he has some very specific things he needs to address before they bring him back up. Yeah, and you look at you know what kinds of moves could this team make? Lance Lynn in the last year of a deal. There's a club option for next year. I think if they had to decide today, they'd probably decline that. Mm-hmm. Yes, Money Grandal is a free agent at the end of the season. So oh, that came fast, didn't it? That came up quick. It was like they just signed him. Yeah, it was just 2020 to 2023 for that four-year deal. Like you oh burn off one of those years with the yeah. shortened season, I guess. But right. So yeah. that's going to end. Uh, you got a, a club option on Liam Hendricks, who's doing really well in his recovery. Uh, it should be back, actually, after about four or five rehab appearances. Mm-hmm. So you the club option on him. Benintendi's a long-term guy. Moncada's got one year left before a club option in 2025. At $25 million, if you decided on that today, that's probably a decline from the team yeah. side. Tim Anderson's got a club option you're going to pick up for next year. They'll pick up every Tim Anderson option until the end of time. I like Tim Anderson, but like that's he's like Mr. White Sox right now. Right now, face of the franchise for sure. Yeah. You've got you got Robert through 2025 before two club options, which geez, so much can happen between now and 2025 with Luis Robert. Yeah. I can't even guess what they're going to do. But for now, you don't have to worry about that. And then you've got Eloy Jimenez two years before club options on him that I think if you were guessing today, they'd probably be picking those up because he's hitting. He's doing exactly yep. what he's supposed to do with the bat. Lucas Giolito's a free agent after this season. So, yeah. And he's looked good. His last yeah. couple of outings, he is rolling. And I was talking to somebody uh, recently who'd seen a couple of his starts, and even before he was rolling, before he had that, didn't he take a no hitter or, or close to it, like into the sixth, seventh inning? And so it, it was, it, they were like, he's actually been fine. It's been some bad luck. And some not help from not getting help from the defense. He's actually been fine. And sure enough, since then, he's really been rolling. I think the tricky thing with this team is choosing a direction. If you don't have a great system to fall back on, but you've got a handful of guys on these pretty club friendly options for these next couple of years, do you trade the veterans that are about to be gone? Do you just trade all of them, hope you get some young talent back, and then push more resources into free agency because you don't really have a lot of payroll commitments? That that to me actually seems kind of logical if you're calling the shots for the White Sox right now, even though this core seems to be just a little bit below what you're getting right now in the division from Cleveland and Minnesota. It, it seems like they're a notch below those two teams, but they're better They're better currently than both the Royals and the Tigers as they're built. They're just stuck in the middle in every way. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you feel better about doing what you're describing where you say, you know what, we're, we don't have a ton of commitments, so we'll... Let's try to just go build around this roster by spending basically, you know, out with the old and with the new. Wouldn't you feel a little better if they were like getting a little more from Eloy, getting a little more from Andrew Vaughn, who's at least getting on base at a good clip this year, but he's still not hitting anywhere near what I expected. I think what basically everybody expected. This guy was an elite hitter in college, at least an elite hitter for average and getting on base. He just hasn't been that guy. And we're still all waiting for another gear of power to show up. If they were getting a little more from like a Jake Berger or Gavin Sheets, who are second tier prospects, it's not like them not developing into regulars is a shock, but you just sort of wish there was a little something more homegrown in house. And then you're building around that. Whereas, you know, I look at this and 
you know, if Giolito leaves as a free agent or if he's traded at the deadline, which actually seems like the more likely outcome at this point, um, you know, they say that they ship out, you know, Lance Lynn, for example. I just look and I say, is there enough left to build around? You can't import a whole team, right? You need three or four, maybe more, but three or four good core homegrown guys. And then you can sort of build around that. And they're just, I, I mean, I pulled up their stats to make sure I wasn't forgetting somebody, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I should have mentioned Luis Robert. He's off to an awful start this year, but he'd be in that group. You'd feel better if he were doing better. None of these core guys is is doing all that well um, or has established himself through prior performance, right? I'm not just basing off this year. You know, Luis Robert is a good, you know, in his best years, he's a good regular. Otherwise, he's more like a soft regular. I mean, what he did in the half season in 2021, he hasn't done that at any other point, right? He, I don't know that he's really a good regular. I know that he could be. He could be a star, but he's not that. Who on this club is definitely an above-average regular going forward and under team control beyond this year? Starters or or position players? Anderson, Cease, yeah. and I'll say Eloy, yeah. even though he has no defensive okay. value. I think he hits enough. And then I think yeah. Vaughn, Vaughn could be your fourth. That's possible. I want to like Vaughn. I'm just cognizant of like, He's not putting balls in the seats. If he put more balls in the seats, it's different. He's in he's in the upper category. But I I, I like your list. I just think all yeah. of this just comes back to they have just enough to not tear it apart, but yeah. just enough they have hasn't been good enough for them to get where they want to go. That's got to be a no. really frustrating place to be. I just think these next two and a half months, critically important. They'll have to decide in July what they're going to do, and all these yeah. players have a shot to, to turn it around. Maybe some of these guys we're talking about, you know what, maybe Vaughn, He's putting the ball in play a lot. He's getting on base a good clip. He's leading the team in doubles. Maybe he turns it on a little bit more. You know, Cease, you hope, gets back to what we were seeing from him last year. Eloy, healthy. Think there's another gear of power in there. I think we've seen that from him in the past. It's possible we have this conversation in six weeks and we say, all right, they've got their three or four core guys. There's a clearer direction here. Because the thing is, I just look at them, maybe I'm uh, even falling a little bit into the small sample size trap myself just based on this season. But I look at this club as currently constructed with some of the contract stuff that you were talking about a few moments ago. And I think, I don't know what I'd do. Right? If you handed this to me, no one's doing that, just hypothetically. If you handed me the keys to this, I'd probably just say tear it down, not out of great conviction, but sort of that seems like the best course of action given the available ones but you can hear i don't have a strong feeling about it i just don't i don't have enough conviction in the core that's there that's going to be sticking around to say i can build around this you feel that about a lot of other i could feel that about a lot of other franchises i have a hard time doing that with what's on this roster and in this organization too like i i mentioned colson montgomery i think colson montgomery's a stud he's got a chance to be Corey seager when he grows up um He's hurt right now. I was going to say, we haven't heard much about him, but um, he hasn't played yet this year, but he was incredible at two levels last year, right out of high school before scuffling in two weeks in double A at the end of the year, which was a promotion for an entirely different reason. But if Montgomery comes back and hits like I think he's capable of hitting, you can add him to that list. Do you have enough? Is that enough? I mean, I would actually love to hear White Sox fans tell me, you know, not that I think you're unbiased, but do you think I'm being too hard on this core? Is there enough here? that you could build around because I'm not seeing it. I think they're closing in on a 20 year stretch of frustration since that world series. And since I think the world they, series. Oof. I think they want change. I think they see 
you know, Rick Hahn being connected enough to Kenny Williams where it's been more of the same, even if, even if Rick Hahn's been able to put his own stamp on this club. Mm-hmm. He actually owned the slow start too, which I always, I like that when, when people who mm-hmm. are in those positions come out and say, this is on me. This isn't on the manager. This isn't on anybody else. It's on me. He came out and did that right at the end of April. I guess the other thing I would think about is look at the Cubs. Look at where they're at right now. They're also in the middle. It seems like they maybe have the up arrow going there, but who's next three years do you want right now? Do you want the Cubs next three years or the White Sox next three years if you have to start with where they're sitting today with the rosters and minor league systems they have in place today? Oh, the Cubs. I'm very arrow up on the Cubs, big time. Love the way that farm system has turned over. I know Cubs fans have been frustrated with a lot of what's gone at the major league level. Been a lot of talk this week about David Ross is probably not the ideal manager for this club. I would agree. I've met David. He's very nice. This was probably not the right situation. Certainly not now. There's going to be a lot of young talent coming to Wrigley very soon. And some pretty high ceiling guys are coming out of that's going to be coming out of that system, if not this year, then into next year. I really like where they're headed. I will be curious to see if they keep it all or do they decide to trade some of it to continue to bolster the major league roster. I would not be surprised at all if they were contenders next year, one way or another, you know, whether it's through just keeping their own guys or maybe packaging a few of them. They do have a lot of outfield depth coming. I could see them getting creative and doing something, but I, I like where they're going. I think Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins have done a really nice, very quiet job too. Like it's there. It's, it's almost like an, fine not nothing against theo specifically but when theo was in charge you knew you knew theo was in charge you knew what was going on you knew what the cubs were up to at all times i feel like the cubs make moves now and it's gets less coverage it's more it's quieter and then you look up and it's like actually they're part way to you know if you took top to bottom majorly club and the tops of the and the 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 four season four full season affiliates there's a lot of talent there it's a matter of getting it all to the made developing it getting all to the majors at the right time at the same time but it's I, I like the way things are shaping up quite a bit um, on the north side. And I don't want to fall into the trap either of taking 30 games and reading mm-hmm. too much into it, but Cody Bellinger looks like Cody Bellinger again. Yeah. I, I mean, I want to see it for a lot longer, but holy cow. I mean, that's like an epic win for them. If that turns out, if this is, if he does even 85% of this the rest of the season, then you're in where you just about say it's a tough decision. Like, do, do you trade him? Right. If you're right in the middle where they've kind of been hanging out so far, do you keep them and see if you get a wild card? Do you try to mm-hmm. extend them for the offseason? Do you want to have them around for three or four years? Do you want to throw the money at them? The sooner you do it, if this is real and he does it over a full season and you don't extend them now, it's going to be more expensive to do it later. If you extend them now and you're wrong and it's not real, then you're going to be sitting there like, why? Why did we do that? Why did we rush to that? That's the hard part of making decisions right there. That sort of player. I'm bad at this, right? I look at Bellinger. You know, Bellinger had the first bad year. It was, you know, maybe his shoulder's still screwed up. He'll turn it around. Then we got a whole lot of data that said, okay, this might just be who he is forever. Now he's, for a month, he looks like the old Cody Bellinger. And I I don't know, right? I want to see a lot more data. Remember when the Blue Jays signed Jose Bautista to that five-year extension off of what was basically a good half season? I think at that point, I don't think he'd even had a full season of this high-level performance. I did not like the deal because it was just like, we just don't have enough evidence. This guy was basically nothing. He got waived, rule fived. Now you're giving him a five-year, you know, pretty high-dollar figure deal. And it worked out spectacularly so well. I wrote in one of my books, I basically wrote the story of how the Blue Jays came, what information they used to make a rational decision in the absence of the kind of long-term 
performance data, the track record that you would typically look for. Give Alex Anthopoulos a ton of credit. He did a great job. He saw something that a lot of other people didn't. Um, I think the Cubs are in a similar situation. I'm not saying Bellinger is Jose Bautista, but it's kind of a similar profile. This guy hasn't performed for years. Now he is. At what point have you seen enough to say, yep, here's five years? Because he's still pretty young. You would you would be talking about a long-term deal. I think the risk is worth it in this case because Bellinger, for most of a five-year deal, would still be a good center fielder. I think that's a really nice floor to have defensively. He could play out there for a few years at least. And mm-hmm. I think there's enough evidence here. He's played at this level before. With Bautista, it was the first time. It was a completely new level he reached. For Bellinger, he's getting back to something he's done before. Showing that power, showing that speed, getting the K rate under 20%. That's the best part. That's the part that uh, I looked in, right? Didn't, don't you look first thing? Oh, it's Cody Ballinger. How much is he striking out? 19% now after the matinee on Friday. Really good start for him. Mm-hmm. And Cubs fans can cheer up. Matt Mervis up as of Friday. Miguel Amaya up right Cubs now fans too are because excited. Uh, Jan Gomes yeah. is down. Man, they got to be excited about that, right? And Miguel Amaya looked like a different person. When I saw him in spring training, they didn't get like great results. The swing looked good. The body looked great. You know, I think he's one of those went out with Tommy John and just said, I'm going to fix my bot. Not that, you know what I mean? He's going to improve his conditioning, right? He sure. did. He looked great. It's like, oh, this guy was a top 100 prospect three years ago. Now his body looks better. He looks stronger. The swing's still really good. Maybe we should revisit that. Think of I'm all the. It. All the prospects in that system, too. He's probably still their best catching prospect, isn't he? Yes. I mean, that's their long-term catcher, I think. Um, especially now that he's healthy, right? It was Tommy John. He's supposed to be fine. Yeah, I'm on it. I'm I'm and I'm I'm hoping for it. I just pulled up to make sure he only played about what did he have 13 games in triple A, but he hit. Struck out a tiny bit, a little bit too much. He was getting on base, hit for some power. Um, oh, I'm sorry, he was in double A. Oh, he was in the Southern League. Throw it out. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> that how I brought that back? Is that good? Yeah. yeah. Good, good. Yeah, nice callback. Yeah, I was just going to say I need the, uh, the Archer. Nice callback. Can't get that callback from other podcasts. I know that. We are on our way out the door as we go. Uh, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Keith on Twitter at Keith Law. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Have a nice weekend. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Monday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.